uh, you would speak to us as we look at this five chapters in Job, Lord. I'm, I'm overwhelmed in a sense of, of this topic. We're, 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 we're looking deep into you, and it's, it's above my pay grade. It's above what I can fathom. And so we need you to teach us, and we need open hearts. And that's what we ask, and that's what we know you will provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to see you here this morning. Turn to somebody. First of all, smile. Okay, just just smile. Just go ahead and smile. You always feel better when you're smiling. You, I promise you, you look better when you smile. And uh, since I have to look at you and you have to look at me, let's all just smile this morning. We're looking at Job, of course. And we are in Job chapter 33, so you may want to turn there. Job chapter 33. There is hope. We're coming to the end. And, uh, and it means that we're coming to uh, topics that are very, very hard to understand so, or overwhelming, in fact. It's just, it's just the Lord. So let's look at what we're... What, let's, let's get into it. And there at the top of your notes... Uh, if you want to understand where we're at in this book, if you want to understand the role of this man by the name of Elihu, then you've got to understand that main idea at the top of your notes. When we lose focus in the midst of undeserved adversity and unfair criticism, you ever experienced that? And if you have, you lose a sense of focus. You get out of whack. You get into the pit of despair. You get you get angry, you get bitter. Well, what do you need? You need someone to intervene and help you refocus. That's what you need. You and I need someone to intervene and help us refocus. And that's what Job 32 through 37 is all about. It's about the intervention of a man by the name of Elihu. We see his introduction in chapter 32. We understand who he is. He's a younger, wise man. He's not an angry, young fool. And what follows, and we're going to look at it in 33 through 37, is his instruction, his teaching of wisdom, his intervention in the life of Job, who desperately needs to be refocused. Now, here's my conclusion personally, as I thought through uh, where we're at. Here's my prayer, and I hope it's yours. I pray God will always send me someone like Elihu when I am in the midst of suffering. I pray that God will always send someone to intervene when I need focus. And I pray that like Job, I will listen to the man or woman that God sends my way. Now, Elihu is intervening to help Job refocus. It's real easy. I've got the overview of these, these five chapters. Uh, Elihu gives four speeches. You can see them there on the left-hand side of that chart. And the reason Job has lost focus is because he's focusing on the question, why? And we can't help but ask that question. Why? 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 When you're suffering, when I'm suffering, when we're discouraged, when we're depressed, you can't help but ask why. But why digs a deeper pit? Why digs a deeper pit? The best answer to why is always who? Okay, so let's say that together. The best answer to why is always who. And that's what Elihu, who, Elihu, that's who, that's what he provides. So notice, 
Job loses focus, and in each of his speeches, uh, one speech per chapter, except for the last two chapters, uh, comprise the fourth speech, Job loses focus and asks why. And you can see there, why doesn't God respond to me? The implication is, the reason God's not responding to me is because he's uncaring. That's not a happy thought to be dwelling on. And Elihu seeks to refocus on who? God. God is freely sovereign. In the next chapter, he realizes Job has lost focus. Why isn't God, why doesn't God relieve me? Why doesn't he relieve my suffering? Why doesn't he stop this? Why doesn't he get me out of this pit? Implication, God, you're not being just. And Elihu says, look, God is unfailingly just. In the third speech, in chapter 35, we'll see that he, 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 he has heard Job and knows that he's lost focus. Why doesn't God reward me? Here I've been so blameless. And Job doesn't realize it, but he's been the most blameless man on the planet. Why doesn't God reward me? What, what kind of reward is this? Implication, God, you're not righteous. You're just, you're, I'm right, you're wrong, and, and, and you've left me in this mess. And Elihu says, you got to focus on who God is. He's absolutely righteous. Then in the fourth speech, we're going to see that he has heard in Job's voice, in Job's talk, why doesn't God resolve this? Why doesn't God come down here and fix this like I am demanding that he does? And the implication is God's just not worthy. He's unworthy. He's not worthy of me following him. If he's not going to get me out of this, why would I want to give my life uh, further to him? And Elihu says, look, God is supremely worthy. I want you to understand that Elihu has been listening very carefully and he has discerned that Job has lost focus and he's addressing these four ways that Job has lost focus. And what he wants to do, and if I could summarize what I hope will happen now in the next 20, 30 minutes on these on these on the initial part of this lesson. Here's what I hope. That you and I will refocus and realize that God is bigger and smaller than we can possibly understand. God is bigger and smaller than we can possibly understand. The problem with what Job is struggling with and what you and I struggle with when we are suffering is we don't realize that God's bigger than our problems and we don't realize that God's small enough, and when I say small enough, to be near to us. And I want you to see, and this is what Elihu wants Job to see, that God is bigger than you could possibly understand. And guess what? The good news is He's also smaller and nearer than you can possibly understand. If you can get that. Now, this is five chapters dealing with that topic. In poetry, no less. How in the world do you do this? I really don't know, but Sunday comes, so you must. So I'm here, and I must do this. So what I did is I just, I, I just, out, I had to work through it. So I thought, well, you might as well work through it with me. Here's the outline of these five chapters, and if you can at least understand what Elihu's doing with Job, I think you will see the obvious, obvious connection to your own life. So let's dive in. God is bigger and smaller than we can possibly understand because number one. God is freely, freely, freely sovereign and does not have to answer to us for anything. That's what Job needed to refocus. Listen, you've got to refocus on that. And whether you're struggling or suffering or depressed or discouraged, we, that's just a healthy thing. 
So I want you to think of a big camera lens. And when you focus a lens, you kind of got to turn it a little bit here, turn it a little bit. You make minor adjustments. So we got four adjustments. And the first one is I need to get focused again that God is freely. Now, what does freely mean? Freely means he doesn't, he, he is, he doesn't have to answer to anyone. He doesn't have to ask anyone's permission. He doesn't have to get anyone's approval. He just rules freely and does not certainly have to answer to us for anything. Now, we're, we're, we're in chapter 33. And, and in the first seven verses of 33, he, asks, he shows respect to Job and he, he says, could I please intervene? And that's what's happening there. Then in verses 8 through 11, he summarizes what Job has been saying. He summarizes Job's loss of focus. And basically what he says in verses 8 through 11 is, why doesn't God respond to me? Job, you've lost focus because you're asking, why doesn't God respond to me? And the implication is, God doesn't care about me. And so in verses 12 through 30, so that's where I want you to look. Verses 12 through 30, Elihu seeks to refocus him. And and I want you to see these three points as small adjustments on our lens as we look at God. So each one of these points is a little adjustment to refocus Job and hopefully us. Number one, here's here's how he refocuses Job. He says, number one, God is freely sovereign. Therefore, he doesn't have to give an account of himself to us just because we demand one. Job has been demanding, God, you got to come down here and tell me what you're doing. And, and the first thing Elihu says is, look, God's freely sovereign. Therefore, he doesn't have to come down here and tell you anything. Look at verses 12 and 13. Here's where he says, it. he says, behold, I like that, Refo- you could just as- refocus, behold, pay attention, you're missing this. Let me tell you, you are not in, not right in this. For God is greater than man. Why do you complain against him? Why do you contend with him? Why are you trying to take him to court? That he does not give an account of all his doings. There you go, you can't get it. God, in other words, Job, God's bigger than what you realize. And he's so big and he's so greater than man, he doesn't have to reply or explain himself to you. That's kind of a good thing to remind ourselves of. You know, we kind of, we live in a democracy that really kind of living in a democracy is great. You know, kind of for your economy and for your life and everything. It's 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 lousy for your your spiritual life and understanding of God, because we want to hold leaders accountable, and we should when they're human. The problem is when we transfer that to God and say, "Well, God, if you're going to be my leader, then you've got to answer to me, or I will vote you out." doesn't work that way. God's greater, bigger than we can possibly understand. So here's the second refocus. Number two, God is freely sovereign. Therefore, he can choose to speak in many ways at different times. He can choose to speak in many ways. Job, and, and when you're like Job, when you're going through suffering, you feel like God's not talking. God is silent. And here's the, this is so cool. You can do a whole lesson on verses 14 through 28, but we can't. I don't want to, and you don't want to. You don't want me to. But here's the point. God is so sovereign 
that he can speak in many ways. And in these verses, he gives at least three different ways that God speaks. In verses 14 through 18, he says, God chooses to speak through dreams and night visions. Now, this is in Job's day. We don't live in that day. But in those days, do you ever wonder, how did these guys know so much about God when they didn't have the written scriptures? It was because God revealed himself through dreams and visions. And he says, look, and, and by the way, Job has had all sorts of dreams and visions and nightmares. And what Elihu's saying is, Job, God's been talking to you through those dreams. He's been talking to you. You're not listening. Then he goes on and he says in verses 19 through 22, God is sovereign and free and can speak to us through our pain and suffering. And so he's, he talks about how God puts us in our sick beds so that we look up and we listen to God. What he's saying is, Job, you think God is silent, but in fact, God's speaking to you through your pain. Are you listening? And then finally, in verses 23 through 28, he says, God may speak through a human mediator, and perhaps Elihu paused, winked, and point to, pointed to himself, or a heavenly messenger. And there's some great verses in there that obviously ultimately point to who's the ultimate human mediator that God speaks through? Jesus Christ. Who is the heavenly messenger that God sent? God in human form, Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, the author of Hebrews says, in, in the Old Testament times, God spoke in many different and, and perhaps even bizarre ways, but now He speaks through His Son. So here's what I want you to get from this. Here's where we need to refocus. God's free to speak to us how He wants and when He wants. And we cannot demand that He answer us just because we want answers. But listen to this. But He will never speak what is contrary to His character, what is contrary to His Son, Jesus Christ, or what is contrary to what we now have in the revealed Bible. So, God is free to speak any way He wants, and He can get your attention through your suffering, and He will get your attention through your suffering. He can get your attention through a loss of a job. He can use a dream. I, I, we can't. He's sovereign. He can do that. But you say, how do I know it's Him and not the devil? This is what kills me. People have dreams or something, and they sign, and they say, well, God told me to do it. It must be. I'm like, well, how do you know it's not the devil? The only way you're going to know is it's got to agree with this book and it's got to agree with Jesus' character and consistent with this book. The third way to refocus on God's sovereignty is number three, God is freely sovereign and caring. Oh, this is good. Uh, God is freely sovereign and caring. Therefore, He's always speaking to us for His glory and our good. Can we hear an amen? Is that good? Amen. All right? Because here's this idea. God is bigger than what you can possibly understand, which means he can speak anytime, any way, and he does. But here's the good news. In all that sovereignty, he's also small enough that he cares about what you're going through. And as you, and you'll have to do this, this afternoon, this week, as you read through this chapter, as, as, as Elihu's saying, look, God's sovereign and he can speak through dreams, he can speak through pain, he can speak through a mediator. 
he lists, I found at least eight different caring, compassionate purposes for why God is speaking. Wow. So here's this sovereign God who cares enough to talk to you and you, me, in our pain, in our problems. Isn't that good news? That's just great news. Now listen, I can't go through all these eight reasons, but look at verse 16, because we're going to see this. As you read through the speeches of Elihu, this is a huge repeated theme. Look at verse 16. Here's what he says. One of the caring reasons why God speaks into our lives is then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. God speaks to open your heart and hear from him. And then he seals what he's teaching in your heart. Isn't that cool? Now, when you come down, look at verses 29 and 30. Here's the ultimate reason. Look at verses 29 and 30. So you see that this is in Bible. Verse 29, Behold, God does all these Dreams, pain, mediators. God does all these oftentimes with men. But why? For this caring purpose. To bring back his soul from the pit. That he may be enlightened with the light of life. God speaks to redeem you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is speaking right now. Right now, God is so big. And yet he's so near that right now he's speaking. He's speaking. And I'm not just saying that because I'm teaching. I'm saying that he spoke to you this morning when the alarm went off and you were still alive. He spoke to you this morning when you saw the sunshine or as I went out and watered my grass, I saw this robin that had to have 20 eggs inside of her because they're making nests now. And boy, this, this, this bird was looking for the nest. God creates life. He's speaking. He's speaking. He's speaking. And so the question becomes, are we listening? Now, this is exactly what he does. Look at verses 31 through 33. He says, Job, listen, refocus. God is sovereign and he's speaking in more ways than what you understand. And so he says, verse 31, pay attention, O Job, and listen to me. Keep silent and let me speak. Then if you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Keep silent. I will teach you wisdom. So here's how we refocus. Let me summarize chapter 33. Here's the principle. It's in your notes. Refocus. God is always freely speaking to us in our suffering. The problem is not God. So the question is this, are we listening? Are we trusting? Are we obeying? See, Job thought the problem's God. He's uncaring. He won't speak to me. And and, and Elihu says, no, Job, the problem is you're not listening. All right, refocus number one, God is freely sovereign. Number two, we're going to go to chapter 34. So turn to chapter 34. God is unfailingly, unfailingly just. He is unfailingly just and can never do wrong even when it seems that way to us. And so once again, in chapter 34, look at verses 1 through 4. Elihu reminds us to be discerning and choose wisdom. Notice what he says, chapter 34. Then Elihu continued and said, 
Hear my words, you wise men. He's not just talking to Job. He's talking to everybody that's around the trash dump. And he's talking to everyone and he's saying, hey, listen up. You who know, for the ear test words and the palate tests food. Let us choose for ourselves what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. Be discerning. So as God is speaking, you need to be discerning and make sure it's God that you're listening to and it's his wisdom. Then what does he do? He again summarizes Job's loss of focus. So in verses 5 through 9, he says, Job, I've been listening to you. You've lost focus, and here's what you're saying. Why doesn't God relieve me? Why doesn't he relieve my suffering? And the implication you're making is that God is unjust. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. There's the summary. For Job has said, and remember, this guy has been very attentive. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my right, my right to a hearing, my right to being declared innocent of all this suffering. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. In other words, God, you're not just. Then he says, verse 7, What man is like Job, who drinks up derision like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity, and walks with wicked men? Why is he saying that? Is Job a wicked person in his actions? No. But Job is being wicked in what he's saying, calling God unjust. To say, I'm more just than God, is to do what wicked people say. This is what, an unbel- when you share it with an unbeliever, they go, oh, I'm better than God. You know, if God were like this, I'd follow him. But he's not like this. He's, he's not worthy. He's unjust. And he's saying, look, you're almost like this. Let, let me summarize it this way. As blameless as Job is in his integrity, he cannot resist saying that he doesn't deserve what he's going through. And he's right. But that doesn't mean God's not just. You get the tension? Are you with me? What I'm experiencing is not right, but that doesn't mean God is unjust. You say, well, explain that. I can't. And Elihu doesn't explain it. He just says it is. It is. You've got to take it by faith, beloved. You've got to take the word of God and what God, the Bible says. You've got to take it by faith. Try it out. You say, I don't know. That's scary to me. Try it. God will come through. He, 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 listen to this. For Job to keep saying he's just implies that God is unjust for permitting the suffering to happen in the first place and for not quickly relieving the suffering once it occurred. For Job to keep saying he is just and implying that God is unjust makes Job sound like the unbeliever. For Job to imply that... Oh, I I don't think I read... Did I read verse 9? Look at verse 9. Here's what he ends with. For he has said, for Job has said, it profits a man nothing when he is pleased with God. Whoa, that's a pretty heavy accusation. What is he saying? It's not worth it to live godly. It doesn't pay off. Well, guess what, Job? You sound like a prosperity preacher. Did you hear what you just said, Job? You just said, whether I live godly or ungodly, it makes no difference. Godliness doesn't pay. Look at me. I'm on the ash heap of despair. And, he, and, and Elihu's saying, look, you're calling God unjust. You're, you're sounding like a health and wealth gospel preacher. And so Elihu seeks to refocus in verses 10 through 30. And so again, I got three points. And think about these three points as slight adjustments to your lens on God's justice. So here we go. Let's look at it. Number one, God is unfailingly just. 
Therefore, he never does anything that would pervert justice. You're like, Chris, that is so ridiculously simple, I can't believe it. And that's the problem. It is so ridiculously simple, many can't believe it. And by the way, some of the simple truths are the first ones we forget when we're suffering. Are you with me? Now look at verses 10 through 12. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to do wrong. For he pays a man according to his work and he makes him find it according to his way. Surely God will not act wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Point's pretty clear. God is unfailingly just. Therefore, he never does anything that would pervert justice. Therefore, if it looks like he does, you're wrong. He's just. Got it? Okay, here's the second one. God, and, and this is, so let me say this. That means God's bigger than we can possibly understand, right? How could a God be just and still be just in the midst of all this injustice that we see around us? Well, that's because he's bigger than we can possibly understand. Now, that would be scary if you don't have point two. Look at point two. God is unfailingly just and merciful. And merciful. And we could all say, thank you. Even our next breath is a gift of mercy. Look at this. This, 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 this. I got excited about this. Can you tell? I hope so. Look at verses 13 through 15. This God, in verse 12, who is almighty and will not pervert justice, which, by the way, is a scary thought if you don't get this next part, who gave him authority over the earth? And who has laid on him the old world? In other words, no one put God in charge he created this place, therefore he is in charge. Now notice, if he should determine, verse 14, to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish and man would return to dust. Okay, take a deep breath. Okay, that was just God's mercy. Take another breath. That was God's mercy. The fact that you and I got up today is because this God of justice is also a God of mercy because not one person here deserves to live one more minute. Man, that is some cool stuff. You know what he's telling us? He's telling us, look, God's bigger than you can understand. He's absolute just even when the world is filled with injustice. But God is small enough and merciful enough that he lets you breathe. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's just good stuff. Our next breath is a gift of mercy. Number three, refocus, refocus. God is unfailingly just and almighty. Therefore, no one can accuse him of being unjust or overthrow his rule. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here, here's the point. In verses, uh, verses 16 through 30, uh, he, he's kind of saying, Job, even if you thought he was unjust, you can't overthrow him. You can't vote him out of office. You can't, you can't kick him out. God is unfailingly just. And, and, and this is kind of the answer to how is this, absolute, this unfailingly just God going to make the injustices of the world right 
it's because he's almighty. He's powerful enough to do it. I can't take you through these verses, but in, uh, but let me let me just give you the character qualities of God in these verses. He's all perfect. He's all righteous. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. He's all hearing. He's all powerful. In other words, there's no one else on this planet more qualified to rule the planet than God. And his justice will be rendered. Why? Because he sees everything. He knows everything. And he's more powerful than anyone. He will accomplish his purposes. Now, having done this, Elihu stops in verses 31 through 37, and he diagnoses, he diagnoses, he gives a diagnosis of Job's problem. And basically, here's what he says. Job, you think the problem is God and his justice, but Job, the problem is who? You. Me. Job. And so here's what he tells him. Number one, and listen, these next three ought to, ought to convict us to our soul. You are trying to control your suffering, Job. And you're trying to control your suffering, and you're trying to control God by demanding that the just judge meet your personal demands. See, you're trying to control this thing, and you're saying, God, if you're God, then you have to come down and do this. You ever witnessed to someone that said that? You know, I, I, when I was a teenager working in the movie theater, witnessing to my co-workers, he said, you know, Chris, if, that's, if the God you're talking about is really real, then, then why doesn't he write it up in the sky? I said, well, because he came and he, he read it with his blood in this book. You're looking at the sky, look at this book. See, you want God to, you know, I don't want him to write it in a book. I want him to write it in the sky. Well, guess what? You're trying to control the one who is uncontrollable. Number two, you're speaking words without knowledge, Job. You've forgotten that running the universe is above your pay grade. You're speaking words without knowledge. You think you know better how to run the universe than God. Could we all say running the universe is above our pay grade this morning? Well, that means running our lives is above our pay grade. Trust Him. Number three, now this is heavy duty. You deserve to be judged, Job. You deserve to be judged to the limit for talking like an unbeliever and implying that God is unjust because you say so. Now, these, there's some powerful... If you read this, he just says, Look, Job, and this, gosh, this, this stuff's so ironic. Job, you're saying God's unjust. But in saying God's unjust, you deserve the severest justice on you. If there's one thing I'm taking away from this particular lesson, is, Chris, you need to be very careful about accusations made against the Lord. Because Elihu is saying that if God wasn't also merciful, Job, you would be judged to the limit for what you are implying, much less saying, about God. Job, you're speaking words without wisdom. You need to shut up. And you need to understand that God is unfailingly just. And He is extremely merciful. He's bigger than what you can understand in His justice, but He's smaller and nearer than you can even imagine in His mercy. So, 
here's the problem. Here's the refocus. So here's my principle for this chapter. Refocus. God is always unfailingly just to us, even in our suffering. So think of the worst possible thing God could allow, not do, but allow to happen in your life, and then understand this. He's still being unfailingly just. Now, I want you to wake up. Wake up for me. I'm like Elihu. Please listen. Listen. Listen to these words. Think of the worst possible thing God could allow to enter your life and understand this this morning, that he would still be unfailingly just in doing so. So, here is the question. Are we willing to stop complaining to God or about God and start trusting this God who is unfailingly just? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Okay, so one person say, that's good, Chris. Thank you. I, I, I think one. Number three, we're going to chapter 35. So turn over, make sure you're in chapter 35. God is absolutely righteous. God is absolutely righteous and does not need us to complete him. God is absolutely righteous and does not need anything from us to complete himself. So, what do you think he's going to do in chapter 35? What's the first thing he does? He summarizes Job's loss of focus. So, in verses 1 through 3, he summarizes the point, Why doesn't God reward me? God is unrighteous. Let's read it. Then Elihu continued and said, Do you think this is according to justice? Do you say... So here's what he's saying. Job, you just talked about justice. Well, do you think it's very just of you to say this? My righteousness is more than God's. Isn't it? It's just, this all ties together. Isn't this amazing? Job, you want to talk about justice? Tell me, is this right of you to say you're more right than God? And then he says, verse 3, For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? What's going on? He's saying he's, he's back to the idea. Living godly hasn't paid off. Live, what, what, listen, what, what are you gaining from me suffering? What, 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 didn't I profit you by living righteously? Why are you re- rewarding me this way? Hey, listen, we all go there. Hey, as soon as one of you guys suffer, I'll tell you the first thing I pray. As a natural man, the first thing I pray is, God, we need that person. God, that person is serving you. God, that person is doing this. Randy goes down with a heart attack. You don't think we're going to say, Lord, what what are you doing? We need him, which implies who else needs him. It implies God needs him. And God reminds me, Chris, you're not praying the right way about Randy. Because I don't need Randy. I don't gain anything from him when he's doing this. I don't gain anything when he's not doing this. And it's not just Randy, it's all of us. You say, that doesn't sound very edifying of us humans. You're right. We're edifying God, not ourselves. Well, this is some, I told you, this is, this is above my pay grade. So I'm talking, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I just know I'm saying the word of God. I think I understand what's going on. Let's look at it. Refocus. Here we go. Two powerful points. Man, I got excited about these two points too. Two powerful points. In verses 4 through 7. And here they are. God is absolutely righteous. Therefore, nothing we do or don't do can ever hurt or help Him. 
God is complete. Randy, do you realize if you died, that wouldn't have hurt God one, you know, it, it wouldn't have hindered the kingdom one bit. And you and all your faithful service isn't changing God, you know, isn't completing God, isn't bringing fulfillment, man, I really need. You know, sometimes we try to recruit people to the mission field or to ministry as if God's up there needy and desperate. I can't do this without you. He chooses to do it with you. He wants you to serve with Him, but not because it adds anything to Him. Now, me, you you serving adds something to me. This, this is the problem, right? This is, you know, your kids, when they do good, it adds something to you. That's not always healthy. That's not always healthy. Because when they do bad, what happens? We freak, right? And then we put more pressure on them, right? Because they're adding... See, God's not that way. When you fail... He doesn't put more pressure on you because you're not adding anything to him. Are you getting this pretty, pretty serious stuff? In other words, God's more big, bigger than you can possibly understand. Now, here's the second point. Number two, God is absolutely righteous. Therefore, everything we do or don't do and how it impacts others does matter. Now, that's the balance. So, Randy, you are important. You did not get a retirement notice with my first point. Do you see the difference? Do you, do you understand? Because God's absolutely righteous, what you do doesn't add, it, nothing you do adds to Him, but because He's absolutely righteous, everything you do is absolutely important, and He takes account of that. Isn't that a beautiful? He's so big that we can't possibly understand Him, but He's so small that everything we do is important to Him. Okay, he diagnoses Job's problem, and here's what he says. You're becoming self-centered, suffering-obsessed, relief-oriented, and proud. That's in verses 9 and 12. I promise you, it's poetry. It's there. Number two, you need to become God-centered, wisdom-obsessed, relationship-oriented, and humble. Job, you've, you've become focused on your suffering and getting out of it. You need to focus on me and drawing closer to me in it. All right? So here, let me summarize it this way. Here's the refocus point. God is always absolutely right in what he is doing in our suffering. So the question is, are we willing to wait for him to help and heal us on his timetable? Because I guess I missed that third point, and I even had it start. You are too focused, Job, on your own timetable and not patiently waiting for God to come through on his own time. Please underline that. I, I had that. I, this is huge. I can't read all this for you. I can't delve into it. I'm just saying he's telling you, he's saying, Job, you got your stopwatch out, and you're saying, God, if you don't get me out of this, then you're not right. And he's saying, Job, you got to put away the watch. God has his own timetable on healing. God has his own timetable on delivering us. And what you need to do is God is right in what he's doing, and you just persevere and you just trust. So the question is, are you willing to wait for him to help and heal you on his timetable, not ours? Fourth point, two chapters. We've got to hit two chapters here. Here's the fourth point. God is supremely worthy of our trust in life's storms, even when we see no end to it. God is supremely worthy of our trust. So do you see the, ref the, the refocus is always on God, and uh, 
probably just like I need to right now, Elihu in the first four verses says, Job, be patient with me a little longer. So could I ask you, be patient with me just a little longer. Elihu knows. This is deep stuff. Elihu knows that he's wearing Job out, but it's for a greater purpose. So I know I'm wearing you out. It's for a greater purpose. Verses 1 through 4. Oh, God, I just... There's some great stuff in there. Let, let's, let's look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Job says, this is why you need to be patient. Or Elihu says, this is why you need to be patient with me, Job. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, this is why some people think he's the Antichrist. This is why some people think he's so arrogant. One who is perfect. Now, what would you do if I came up and said, now, please listen this morning, because one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, first of all, this word perfect is the same word for blameless for Job. It doesn't mean uh, Elihu is sinless. It just means what I'm sharing with you is blameless. It's above reproach. It's the truth. In fact, in chapter 37, he's going to use the same phrase in relation to God. Here's what I think he's saying. Job, you need to listen because it's not me talking. It's God talking. And you know why we know that? Because in a moment, God is going to be talking. And God's going to say the same things that Elihu is saying. So he's saying, hey, be patient, what I'm saying. So, now, how I outline these these verses is Elihu uh, defends God's purposes. And he just basically tells Job how great God is and just says, look, a God that's this great, you can trust. And... We can't go through these verses, but let me point out two verses just so you see them. Verse 10 and verse 15. Chapter 36, 10 and 15. Out of God's many wonders, the purpose that he's doing is opening our ears. Francis Schaeffer said it this way. He's here and he's not silent. C.S. Lewis said it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He's saying, look, God is so glorious, so wonderful, but what he's trying to do is get you to listen to him. Then he diagnoses, uh, gives a diagnosis of Job's problem again. And he says, hey, you're in danger of choosing to sin against God in your suffering instead of persevering. That's a huge temptation. And then he goes into a doxology. What is that? That is a worship. It's glorifying God in all His perfections. It's glorifying God's attributes. And the attribute that He glorifies is God's sovereignty. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. There's no attribute of God more comforting to His children, not to unsaved people, but to saved people. There's no attribute of God more comforting to His children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Elihu looks at the suffering man and says, the most comforting thing I can tell you is God is sovereign. And he's, you know how sovereign he is? And then he says, he's sovereign over thunderstorms, snowstorms, rainstorms, all storms, and we're clueless and powerless of what's going on. Why is he talking about storms? Because there's a storm coming. Okay, I'm from child of the 80s, REO Speedwagon, riding the storm out. It's coming. There's a storm coming. He sees it on the horizon. 
the, it's going to be a tornado. It's going to be like a hurricane on land. It's going to be a whirlwind. And he says, see all this weather that's coming around you? Listen, God is not a storm chaser. He's a storm controller. I like that. What do storm chasers do? They, they look at all this glory, this power, and they go, let's go see it. Let's go get in the middle of it. And then as soon as they get in the middle of it, what do they do? Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Just recently, there was one about a hailstorm on a, on a, on a, and it's saying this, God and his sovereignty and power is just pummeling in this car. We're storm chasers. This is really cool. No, this is, this is too powerful. We got to get out of here. Hey, God's not a storm chaser. He's the storm controller. And we don't have a clue how to predict a tornado. We don't have a clue how to avoid a tsunami. We don't have a clue about how how we can explain some of the molecular stuff, but in the end, we can't even predict the weather. Am I right? And yet God can. God can. And you know why He does it? In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 37, uh, he says he does it for his glory and he does it for our good. God is bigger than you can possibly understand, but he's small enough that he really cares. Finally, he defers to God's presence. We come to chapter 37. Let me read these last verses. Chapter 37, 21 through 24. Here's how, here how he sends the weather, the storm has come. It's made it almost impossible to speak. It's blowing. They're hanging on like a weatherman reporting on a hurricane. And he says in verses 21 through 24, Now men do not see the light which is bright in the skies, but the wind has passed and cleared them. There's, there's clouds blowing. Out of the north comes the golden splendor. Around God is awesome majesty. You think this storm is amazing? God is even more amazing. The Almighty... We cannot find Him. He is exalted in power. But listen to this. He's bigger than what you can even understand. But look at the next verse. And He will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear Him. He does not regard anyone who is wise of heart. Humble yourself. Fear God. Here's the refocus. God is always supremely worthy of our trust and obedience. So the question is, are we willing to humble ourselves and fear Him more than the storms of life? He's saying, Job, get your eyes off the storm and onto the storm controller. God, listen, quit chasing the storm and trust the storm controller. Wow. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm telling you, if you'll take these four points, if you'll take these four truths and refocus your life on a daily basis, if you'll say, God is freely sovereign, yet He's speaking to me all the time, I will listen. God is unfailingly just, and so I will wait and trust Him, though it seems crazy. God is absolutely righteous. Therefore, I'll be patient to see how this is going to work out. God is supremely worthy, and therefore, I will fear Him more than whatever is getting me depressed. I will fear Him more than whatever is discouraging me. Man, I'm telling you, I'll end where I began. I pray to God that He will always bring someone to intervene in my life like this.
And I pray and I commit that I will be that kind of person for you. Would you commit? If everybody in this room would commit to be an Elihu, bringing that kind of truth to people who are suffering, we will be world changers in this community and in our lives. Amen? Okay, that's my best shot. Let's pray. Father, wow, you know, one is perfect. One who is perfect in knowledge is you, and I pray that you have spoken. I pray you have encouraged, and I pray that I will live up by your grace to what I have taught. And I pray that we will live up to what we have heard. And I pray that it will be more than a lesson to be forgotten. It will be a lifestyle to be lived. Oh, Lord, you are worthy. You are the storm controller. We trust you. We wait for you to make all things right on your time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.